Have you ever asked yourself, what's the best way I can contribute to sci-fi and fantasy in the literary world? If you have, the answer is simple. You just have to be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt and host the Sword and Laser podcast. If for some reason you can't be Veronica Belmont or Tom Merritt, however, don't despair. All is not lost. You can still head over to patreon.com slash swordandlaser and help fund their hard work. Every cent you give adds more swords and more lasers to their growing arsenal of speculative literary goodness. That's patreon.com slash swordandlaser. everyone, welcome to Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Just like you. Like a clone. Like genetically identical to you. I feel like we've made that joke a few times in the last At least twice. 14 years or so. But I feel like I did a slightly different spin on it. Yeah, We'll have to go back into Drake Will Tell Us. Drake? Drake, the tungsten, <laughs> yeah, oh, Drake. tungsten, yeah. the better Drake, we'll tell the him. cooler Drake that listens yeah. to all of our back episodes. Totally. All right. Well, uh, are you drinking anything? Oh, good. Okay, so we've got two people now in the live chat. We've got Tomahome and Mark. Good evening. Oh, very folks. nice. Yeah. If you if you get into the the live show, you get a bespoke episode. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> we talk directly to you as though you were here in the this room one goes with out us. To Tomahome and Mark. Hope you're having a groovy night out there in sci-fi land. Uh, yes, I I, uh, I was drinking rosé today uh, and I almost didn't. Why but, wouldn't uh, you? We, we were meeting a friend uh, for dinner and the wife ordered rosé and then the friend ordered Sauvignon Blanc. And I looked at the waiter and was about to order a cab and I was like, no, it's kind of hot. I'll go with what the wife had and had a rosé. I don't nice. remember what kind or anything, but it was a rosé. I had, um, so as you mentioned in the Discord, it was our uh, my husband and, and my anniversary last night. Right, because um, I married so, Ryan to you. To me. To me, yeah, that is correct. Years ago. Yeah. Good grammar. Um, and I uh, we went out to dinner outdoors, and um, I ordered, I love red wine usually, or rosé. I was in the mood for a red um, so I was going to get a Zinfandel mm, and mm-hmm. so we ordered all our food and then I was like, oh, and I'll have a glass of the Zinfandel. And the waiter looked at me and was like, yeah, you know, you're getting a lot of fish. I really think you should get a white. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, or if you wanted a red, maybe a one of these or one of this or that. And like, I know, I know, and I even said to Ryan, like, well, we are getting a lot of fish, so I should get, a, a, you know, typically you would want something yeah, lighter to right. drink, but I'm just really in the mood for a red. But then I was so like thrown off and kind of <sighs> embarrassed and I felt like such a pleb, plebe, whatever, um, that I couldn't like recover in time. So I was like, I'll have Sauvignon Blanc, please. See, and <laughs> If I had been you, I probably would have ended up doing the same thing. I probably would have panicked and been like, I don't know. I have to prepare most of my public interactions ahead of time. I'm not prepared for this. Uh, <laughs> not prepared for pushback on my but order. But what I would have liked to believe you would have done is to say, like, that's great that you think that. I'd like a Zin. To to his credit, he brought me out a taste of the Zinfandel afterwards. Oh, that's nice. 
Okay. And it was very full-bodied. It mm-hmm. was a very intense, and I would have enjoyed I mean, it too. I, I, yeah, it, mm, I, mm. I know that they're right as far as like, if you want the perfect pairing, like take a bite of fish, take a swallow of wine. They're, they're absolutely right. But sometimes you just want to be wrong. You yeah. Know, and you have to drink tastes. what you're going to drink. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know they don't go together. I'm, but they don't clash. I think that's the thing. It's not like, uh, you know, it's not gonna eating ruin your fish or your food. Yeah. Like what's a, what's an example where you like, you, you definitely don't want to, uh, uh, eat something sweet and then eat like something coffee, sour. Coffee and ketchup. Yeah. Coffee and ketchup. Nice. Good. A good example. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would not um, enjoy there's some more classic examples that are escaping my memory right now, you know, of like, oh, you definitely don't want to eat ice cream after an orange or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or vice versa, <laughs> maybe. Tomahome says Oreos and Coke. I don't know. Doesn't sound like the worst. Oreos and Coke, I think, are all right. Wouldn't hate that. I feel like yeah. the the uh, the slight acidity of the Coke would really cut the creaminess of the Oreo. Yeah. There but there's there's definitely some real classic examples. Usually it's after sweet doing something acidic and sour immediately definitely orange it, juice after toothpaste is not pleasant oh, so what's like the food equivalent of, yeah. of what would you be eating that's like toothpaste <laughs> that you can um, have orange juice after dessert i don't know yeah. yeah but anyway my point being my long and winding point being that Drinking a red wine with fish is not like that it's not like ooh those don't go together you know it's just well, like, guess, oh, they're so not some people, perfectly they complimentary. Yeah. So anyway, that was my night. So now I'm drinking rosé and maybe I'll just buy a bottle of Zinfandel and drink yeah. it by itself. And then I don't have you to worry about it comparing with anything. Take it by that restaurant and leave it for that waiter. No. I'm from not Veronica. Give him wine. <laughs> I'll get back at you. I'll buy you wine. I'll buy it's you a nice bottle of wine. <laughs> That'll learn you. Wine shaming. Uh, all right. Well, that was, uh, the longest quick, uh, what are we drinking? I think we've had in a while. Yeah. Um, it was a full bodied. What are we drinking? Very, very full bodied, delicious, delectable. Mm. <laughs> Don't have right. that. What are we drinking with your fish people? <laughs> Let's jump into the quick with your fish people. <laughs> Ooh, with your frog people. <laughs> huh? Frog. Tastes like chicken. Mm, mm, mm. Amphibian people. Mm, mm. Get the reference. Yeah. Is it time mm. for the quick first? <laughs> All right. Ruth says a book shortage is upon <laughs> us. If you want to get a physical copy of a book before the end of the year, especially if it's a new release and or a lesser known writer, best to order early to avoid disappointment. So apparently... Yep. The publishing industry is facing never-before-seen book shortages, um, according to Distractify.com. It's happening across the nation. And why? Uh, Labor shortages and shipping delays have definitely made the process worse or the situation worse. Um, That makes sense. But what about, like, is there something happening with the... with? Is it the the shipping time around the, like, production line? Like the stuff that make books possible. It's this not the goes actual books. so far beyond publishing. Like is every it blog, every <laughs> blog you read is going to localize this to the industry it covers. That sh- logistics worldwide is a nightmare right now. 
mm-hmm. uh, because the pandemic threw the rhythm of shipping all way off. Uh, we did an interview on Daily Tech News Show with uh, a guy named James Thatcher who works in the logistics industry, and he did a great job explaining it. But the, but the short version is you had a bunch of people get sick at ports <gasps> in the early part of 2020. Mm-hmm. You had a bunch of companies decide to cut orders because they didn't think people were going to be buying things in early 2020. Right. And mm-hmm. then you had a bunch of containers back up because either there weren't people to unload them or it wasn't worth sending them back because the orders were cut off. And then suddenly they realized, oh, wait, everybody's only ordering for delivery. And so they suddenly <laughs> flooded the logistics channels with orders and didn't the containers weren't in their normal uh, pattern of being returned to to the factory ports in China. Then you had this weird like and, and the best example is the chip shortage for cars where they like cut all their orders for chips for cars. Those chips got started to being those factories started to being used for laptops because everybody needed to work from home. And then suddenly everybody was buying cars faster than everyone expected Right. And they couldn't get capacity to make the chips. So now it's estimated they made 7.7 million fewer cars this year than they would have normally uh, because of that. Uh, and that that has expanded. It's not just about cars. It's not just about chips. Everything is a mess because there's labor shortages everywhere some of which are because people get sick, some of which is because people just don't want to go to work right now because they're afraid of getting sick. Some of it is just the entire shutting the world's economy off and turning it back on again has caused, uh, who knew, unforeseen circumstances <laughs> unforeseen to ensue that no one could have predicted. So everything is a mess. The, the, the word is, if you want to buy something and have it here by the holidays in December, you want to buy it now. Uh, because, because it's it's so just going to get worse. And as everybody starts to realize this, suddenly everybody's going to start buying everything and that's going to make it worse faster. Yeah, you know, it's it's I really felt it last year, um, even with Amazon shipping. Um, but then then I feel like it kind of got better for a yeah. while. Like I didn't notice it as much or maybe I wasn't buying like big ticket items. It, it felt like it kind of evened out. But now it's it's there's another like it's like a traffic jam where last year you had a lot more people buying things online for their holidays, mm-hmm. but you didn't have quite the factory mess yet. I see. Uh, and so I they're they're saying this this year is going to be much work worse on the supply chain part of it. Whereas last year was was they had inventory, you know, things were built up. So it was more on the logistics side, just getting getting flooded. Now you're now you've got the entire system messed up. And that that seems to be the difference. Got it. Anyway, that affects publishing, which affects books. So, you know, Ruth's not wrong. This story is not wrong. It's like this is just one aspect of that entire thing. All right. Well, good to know. I, I don't typically buy a lot of uh, dead tree editions, but I guess there's just not going to be that many dead trees to go around this year anyway. Yeah. So it um, is what it but is. If you go to bookshop.org, you can get uh, some ebooks, you can get audiobooks, uh, and that may be a way around it. Very cool. All right. Trike uh, pointed out a BuzzFeed News article about 26 science fiction and fantasy books to read this fall. Uh, these are always great. Uh, we get them from all over the place. This one includes uh, new books coming from Nettie Okorafor, Neil Stevenson, Ziran J. Shao, and more. Anything on here catch your eye? 
Ooh, a new Naomi Novik. Um, this is the second book in the Scholomance trilogy. Um, so yeah, definitely. I, I read the first one of these. Ooh, Alexi Harrow, too. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And Wait, which Yuma one is the Lee, Alexi Harrow the one? Oh, uh, Alexi Harrow's oh. uh, Spindle Splintered comes October 5th. Interesting. Oh, this is, is this a continuation of, no, this is new. Okay, because mm-hmm. I'm reading another one of her books right now. And there's a collection of microfiction from Yunha Lee coming out October 5th called uh, The Fox's Tower and Other Tales. Yeah, I'm reading right now um, Once and Future Witches uh, by Alexi Harrow, which is, Ooh, is super good. I didn't notice this the first time uh, through here. Uh, Kim Eun-soo, a Korean author in translation, uh, a collection called The Cabinet. I have to mm. check that out. Always good stuff. Love, love seeing these like books to read to add to my new my new my TBR. Dimaline. Jan says Fia yeah, magazine has announced this year's uh, Ignite Awards winners. Uh, award winners. Ignite Awards winners. <laughs> awards winners. The winners of the Ignite Awards. <laughs> it's so hard to say. <laughs> uh, the best novel uh, adult yeah, winner is Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse, and the best novel uh, YA winner is Legendborn by Tracy Dion. And you can find all the other winners over at tour.com. Yeah, a uh, good list of excellent authors and great stories. Uh, we also got a note from Mark that a first edition of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uncut in the original boards, sold at auction for. Just a million one hundred seventy thousand dollars at Christie's. Uh, Mark says, "Could it be the sword and nice. laser bump that that drove could, the price up?" Because we read be. it, obviously. Yeah, we've we've definitely got some high roller listeners, I'm sure, out there somewhere for sure, ready to throw uncut, some money down. Uncut. It lasted from eighteen sixteen to. Oh, this is the eighteen thirty one. No, no, yeah, yeah, eighteen thirty one edition. Ah, anyway. Crazy. Very impressive. All right. And Turp Kristen says Dragon Con 2021 is over, which means that the winners have been announced for their annual awards. Tom, first of all, were you so sad to not be at Dragon Con this year? How did you feel about missing Dragon Con? I, I feel like I've missed the last three in a row, so I'm a little bit behind. You, we, we haven't been to Dragon Con in years. Has it been more than three years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like how many years? <laughs> I think the numbers might have been in single digits last time. <laughs> no, no, we've we've got in the teens. We went into really? the mid-teens. Oh, yeah. not not single digits as as in okay. You weren't saying like double digits. Like it hasn't been like ten years since we've been. Yeah, it was the mid-teens when we stopped going though. I think the last one I went to was when Justin and Ashley got married, or it was the one where I got the water dumped on me. Yeah, because we didn't go challenge. for a couple of years. The and, then, and then I went back for a day. Like I flew in. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and did a surprise appearance on Night Attack. Uh, like that was like 2017, I think, even. Okay, maybe. so it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Okay, never mind. I take all of that back. Um, hmm. But Dragon Con did happen in person this year. Um, and so, of course, the the winners uh, for the Dragon Awards have been announced. Um, best science fiction novel went to Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Uh, best fantasy novel went to Battleground by Jim Butcher. Uh, best young adult middle grade novel went to A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. 
And uh, there's a num- number of other ones, alternate uh, history novel, um, went to Charles Gannon, Eric Flint, and uh, Best Media Tie-In, went to Firefly Generations by Tim LeBon. Um, so yeah, tons of tons of great stuff there. Check it out if you need to add even more books to your TBR. Um, but yeah, I, I missed it. Felicia went in person, I believe. So there were definitely, definitely we folks won- we there. We once hosted the Parsec Awards at uh, DragonCon. I have actually hosted the Parsec Awards twice. Oh, how nice for you. Because I did it with Scott Sigler one year and one year with you. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm not going to say who I'm I thought my favorite co-host was, you know, <laughs> but I've been asked back twice. <laughs> I but, presented you know. uh, with one of the Doctor Who's. A, like a real Doctor Who. Yeah. 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 Was it? A, so which, there what? you go. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Sylvester McCoy and I, I'm not saying who I preferred to present with, but that's allowed. You're allowed to say that you're allowed to have that choice. It's fine. I don't blame you. Uh, and then this is definitely an example of the, the sword and laser bump. Uh, Seth pointed out that Piranesi won the 2021 women's prize for fiction. Uh, obviously Susanna Clark deserves this, but you know, it didn't hurt that we read it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say we didn't make that happen. Um, anyhow, thank you so much to everyone for submitting Quick Burns. If you want to help contribute news to the show, you can either post a Quick Burns over on Goodreads.com slash Sword and Laser or post them over on our Goodreads channel on Discord. All right, folks, now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. And our first message comes from Raging Evil, good old Jerry Perez, who says... Oh, dang, about Victories Greater Than Death becoming a series and adaptation from Amazon Studios and produced no less by Michael B. Jordan. I could not be happier that Charlie Jane Anders is killing it. Killing Uh, it. uh, Involved in the writer's room and getting a writer's credit on Why the Last Man. writing a series of award-winning books and now uh, getting Michael B. G- B. Jordan's uh, uh, production company uh, to adapt one of her own works. That's amazing. Yeah. So good. That and, is... and, and bravo. Well, and well-deserved. I feel like, so I saw her walking down uh, the street like a couple, a few weeks ago. God, it was a while back. It was like a few months ago. And I hadn't seen her in a long time. We used to run into each other all the time at Borderlands. And um, it was one of those moments where, like, we all had masks on and she's got bright pink hair. And so, like, totally recognizable from a distance. And I just felt like I looked real, you know, I was, like, all, like, postpartum frumpy and, like, with my (laughs) mask on, like, waddling down the street. And I was like, she was on the phone. And I was like. Oh. Hey, it's Veronica. And she's, she kind of gave me a look like, I know who you are. <laughs> and, and also I'm very busy and I can't talk to you right now. So in my mind, I, I built up this fiction after I heard this news that like she was on that phone call, like finding out about with the Michael adaptation. Michael B. Jordan himself. Yeah, yeah with Michael yeah. B. Jordan. That's great. And like yeah, didn't totally. have time to like talk to me, but it was cool. Sorry, Michael B. Jordan's on the phone. Can't Michael talk. B. Jordan's on the line. Can't talk. Um but yeah, I was super happy. I think this news broke like right after our last episode or something. So we we missed it. Um, but yeah, when I saw that, I was like, yes, that's so rad. Yes. Congratulations. Very excited. And then Tomahome uh, tweeted the new hit music video about the murder bot that is sweeping the nation called I'm Not Your Hero, The Murder Bot Diaries Animatic. 
set to the t- to the to not the tune of, but the actual song by Tegan and Sarah. Uh, I'm not your hero. Yeah, it's a super good song. And, um, you know, one thing that threw me and I, I forgot to ever mention this or talk about this when we read um, some of the we we read one of the books or you read one of the books officially read for the Network show effect with uh, Rob Dunwood. Yeah, it was the and I have read the whole the series. La- was that the last book before you came back? I, I think it was. Yeah. And I did actually I had already read it. Um, I always saw Murderbot in my mind as being um, femme presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I realized that Murderbot is never gendered in the books, yep. um, which I didn't catch on to until like the fourth book or something and realized in my mind that I had been mentally picturing Murderbot as femme presenting. And then this music video, I saw this music video and it just reminded me all over again because Murderbot in the music video is, is very masculine appearing. And so it was just like, it was just so funny, like how we, we like put things on our own imaginations yeah. uh, in certain ways. And I thought well, that was kind of funny. There's probably a little bit of projecting yourself in, yeah, into yeah, any character you're right. uh, if you're mm-hmm. not told otherwise. Also, mm-hmm. Martha Wells being the author, if you're reading it, you're probably assuming like, oh, oh yeah. it's Martha Wells writing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not told otherwise, maybe it's a female character, but the audiobook is voiced by a male. So if you're and listening I didn't to, listen the to any of the audiobooks, yeah. If you're listening to the audiobook, you're probably more likely to think of Murderbot as male presenting because or masculine presenting because you're hearing a male voice. Right. When the Murderbot talks. And really, Murderbot yeah. is none of those. Murderbot is a sec unit who just wants to watch Rise and Fall of Sanctuary Moon. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say femme because that's something very specific, but but feminine, like mm-hmm. appearing or, you know, gendered, I guess. I'm, I, there's no gender. Yeah. A sec unit isn't, has no gender, I would imagine. And but I they are that, made up of human parts, though, right? So they yeah. could have, but they could have been made of multiple different human parts. I don't know if she ever explains where the parts come from. I, right. I got the... I got the idea that they were grown. I got the idea that they were people who were like in the army or something like that, who died or were gravely injured. Oh, really? Okay. I don't know where I got that from. Well, there's never any indication of memories from before the, that's true. Before Murderbot becomes a sec unit. So that's true. Yeah. I always assumed that the organic parts were just grown for purpose. To, to fit into the So why do any succulent? organic parts at all? Because that that is explained. There's there's some mm. aspect of 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 the organic matrix that is advantageous, but I don't remember right now. Do you like water that is a little bit old tasting? No. You know that kind of like that kind of like water taste that when a water has been sitting in a water bottle for a little while. You mean like a, a an aged water, like kind of stale water. Yeah, I like. I that know what taste. you mean. <laughs> I don't prefer it, but I also don't mind it. I don't. Maybe I do prefer it though, because I was about to say like I don't like the way water tastes straight out of the tap sometimes. So I guess that means I do hmm. like the aged water. Is <laughs> but it like I don't a think about it. I don't th- thing. Yeah, it's like it's it like, like it's. 
too aerated or, or something. I need it to settle. That's interesting. That's a thought I've never had before. That's a new new yeah. thought. Well, there's two. Yours and All mine. All right. Yeah. Um, cool. That's what I know you come for the sci-fi, but you stay for the thoughts you've never had before. <laughs> stay for the complete non sequiturs. All right. Moving over on to Goodreads. Um, we had a thread from, I believe this is going to be from Mark. Yes, it is from Mark, um, who said, I got a kick out of this article at tour.com written by Molly Templeton um, about the shape of books. And I really liked actually the, um, the first paragraph or so of this article. And it says, um, if you could identify a book's most perfect form, what would it be? What would it feel like? By form, I don't mean format, whether ebooks or audiobooks or print. I'm talking about the actual shape of a print book by height and width, the way it fits in your hands. And beyond that, the way it feels in your hands. Does it have that divisive soft touch jacket? The kind that feels mm. ever so slightly like human skin? Is it embossed <laughs> or dotted with gold foil? Is it hardcover or paperback, large or small, short or thick or tall and narrow? Um, so I just liked that, that description, especially of the, um, human skin. Yeah. I, I like her, her identification that she feels like the trade paperback is the perfect form. And I, I, my immediate thought is books have been around for a long time. We must have got to the form that seems to work the best. I doubt there's a whole lot of other forms we could try that would be superior after this amount of time. Uh, so, and the, and the three major forms that have survived the ages are hardback trade paperback and pocket size paperback. Mm-hmm. Pocket size paperback is trading idealism for convenience. It fits in your pocket. It fits in your bag. It, it always folds back a little too much. You know, it's not perfectly comfortable to read, but Mm -hmm. you, that's a trade-off for the easy ease of storage. Right. So I think that's the opposite problem. I think it doesn't fold back quite well enough. Like it's always like, like you have to really, you're saying what I mean, which is like, like, like you can open it, but it always kind of wants to close itself. Right. It doesn't, doesn't open up quite well enough. Yes. Whereas a hardback opens perfectly. It's the perfect opening because it just, it just flops open. Mm-hmm. But it's heavy. But you can sit it on your lap really nicely. You can, yes, yeah, that's nice. But but it's still still heavier. Whereas the trade paperback strikes the compromise between the two. It's it it doesn't have the the hard I want to close of a of a mass market paperback. It isn't quite as heavy as the hardback. A hardcover book is really difficult to read on your side in bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to like kind I of prop like- it up. To me, the ultimate is the trade paperback with the faux dust jacket flap. Trade paperback. Have you ever had that where it's like it's mm-hmm. a paperback, but it folds in and has a has a like a dust jacket flap on the inside? That feels like it gives it just enough heft to feel more like it has that hardback uh opening, but but it's not as heavy. I like a mid-size, like hard hardcover. That doesn't have the paper folding piece. That doesn't have. You it's, mean the it's dust just jacket? like the cover is just like embossed in the. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, show me, show me an example. This is this is well, no, this doesn't have the inside though. It's hardback with the, the emboss. 
Okay, yeah, I don't want the I don't want the paper. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know if I have an example right here. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, oh, I do. I do. Um, like this one. Because I definitely have had this. This is this is my copy of Greenwich, and this has got. Oh yeah, like, like that. It doesn't have the flap either, but it's exactly what There's you're no talking flap. about. There's no flap. Yeah, it just didn't use like, the flap. Basically. It's like textured and like opens really nicely. Yeah. My calendar fell off the wall. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, we we really got off. We got off. Went off the long end there, uh, the deep end. Um, real fast. Uh, I know we're catching up on time here. Actually, there's no clock in Riverside.fm, so I can never see how long we've been recording yeah. for. So it's I have like no baseball idea. That way. Yeah. Um, so other worlds that you love and or hate. This is from Trike. This is a long post, um, but I thought it was interesting because he mentioned that I I mentioned offhand that um, you know I don't like fantasy worlds that have too many parallels to our own. I don't know if I said I don't like them. I said I just prefer things that are a little sure. more yeah, yeah. out there. Just take the thing out of the freezer. Just take the thing. Just make the noise. Take the thing. You good? What's going on on your end? Ryan's getting an ice pack for his ankle, and we have like 50,000 ice packs in the freezer, and they're very noisy. Sorry. <laughs> He's sorry. It's okay. I just wanted you to be able to be done and get what you need. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so Fantasy Worlds. Um, so it didn't... It didn't Tick off, I found my tack uh, for my calendar. It's hung up. Oh, there. good. So you didn't step on it later. That's important. Mm-hmm. And I and the Ray doesn't eat it. That's also important. Um, so Trike says, spinning off Veronica's comment in the latest podcast, episode 417. So this is a little bit older for uh, you readers from the future. But how she doesn't like fantasy worlds, which have too many parallels with our own, causing her to constantly compare the two, which was kind of a surprise to me, Trike, honestly, because that's not a thing that tweaks my annoyometer. Um, it made me wonder what other tropes we like or dislike. Um, so he presumed that I specifically meant secondary world fantasy um, rather than our world plus magic. Um, so like Dresden Files and Sookie Stackhouse are just our world with fantasy elements. You know, actually, those don't bother me. That's not really what I'm talking about. I think I think um, uh, I think it's more like the second scenario that he's talking about, which is like like I mentioned in the podcast, like Jade City. Um where things are kind of like a mashup um, of our existing world. So basically, I'm just repeating exactly what I said in the podcast. Um, so <laughs> where is he going with this? Um, okay. So he says, I focus on fantasy here because it was Veronica who mentioned it, but of course, science fiction does this too. Uh, Dune is the Middle East and Lawrence of Arabia. Um, uh, let's see. I can't pronounce all these places that he's mentioning. These are other books and these are fake places whose names I don't know how to pronounce. But anyway, Guy Gavriel K, according to Chris, does this extremely well. Yeah, that didn't really bother me, the Guy Gavriel K bits. Maybe I don't hate it. Maybe I just noticed well, it know, too you much. Didn't. You in never Jade said City. you hated it. You said it I distracted didn't. you when you were trying Thank to, you. when it felt like there was a comparison and you got distracted trying to figure out what those parallels were. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I think that's, that's I think fair. you're right. Yeah. yeah. 
I think you're right. Um, I like Jenny's response at the end of this thread. Uh, it made her think of a different phenomenon in that she says, I sometimes erroneously assume a fantasy or science fiction world is in our world. The most egregious mm-hmm. error on my part was when I read the fifth season. The science was so confusing because I didn't see how our planet could work that way. But it wasn't our planet. It was a periphery moon. Since that time, I've heard several podcasts and read several reviews where people talk about it being a warning about our future Earth. And that was not her intent. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. That has that has definitely happened to me occasionally um, with other books, expecting it to be our world and then finding out it was not. But speaking of things of our world in potential future scenarios, we will uh, be wrapping up Terra Nullius uh, by Claire G. Coleman. But first, let's uh, talk about what next month's pick is going to be. So uh, we're departing from strict science fiction and fantasy, not not necessarily for the first time, but I think this might be our farthest straying uh, mm. with a book that you picked for October because you wanted something spooky. I wanted something a little spooky. Um, so I turned to the Discord and got some recommendations. And, um, oh gosh, now I got to find who rec- recommended this one. Uh, maybe you oh, can don't look. worry. It's in the book briefing that I wrote where I quoted everyone. And Tamahome said, I hear Joe Hill's Nosferatu 2, Nosferatu audiobook by Kate Mulgrew is good. Ooh. And then I picked that. Yep. Um, and it became our fate. And <laughs> it became our fate. Um, so, yeah, we are going to be reading Nosferatu um, by Joe Hill. Um, and I, I started it already. And I have to say, it's pretty creepy. Um, I wanted something a little spooky. I know they were making fun of me because I, I don't like horror movies. I don't typically watch spooky stuff. Uh, I linked Tom Homey in chat, which was just like, yo, <laughs> like it me. It was me. It me. It me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I was feeling a little brave, feeling like I want something spooky. Um, so mm-hmm. we're going to read this. And it is, you know, Joe Hill, for those of you who don't know, is Stephen King's son. And this book feels very Stephen King-ish to me. Um, it feels like almost a almost a love letter to Stephen King's style of writing so far. Um, it's also a TV show as well, um, which I had no idea Definitely won't be watching the TV show, especially because Zachary Quinto is the star and he was so creepy on Heroes that I do not want to ever watch another thing where he is potentially the creepy guy. So, yeah. Does he play Bing uh, I, in the this, show? This I, I don't remember I don't who said this in Discord, but someone was saying that uh, they thought Joe Hill intentionally tried to make this feel like his father more than other books that he's done. Yeah. Um, and it does. Uh, yeah, it feels like it. we'll give it a proper kickoff mm-hmm. uh, in the next episode, but uh, go check it out. NOS4A2, if you're looking for it. Uh, NOS4A2, kind of like a license plate number. Usually, exactly. usually the book cover jacket shows a, a license plate mm-hmm. with that on it. All right. So, yeah, good luck reading the spooky book for Halloween season. Yeah, I love Halloween. It's my favorite. Um, I love this time of year. I love I love holidays. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> All, right, All right. We're well going to wrap up Terra Nullius by Claire G. Coleman now. And uh, we always give a spoiler warning when we wrap up, but we're going to give a very clear and big spoiler warning. Even those of you who sometimes are like, 
spoiler, don't bother me. That's fine. I'll just keep listening. You might not want to if you intend to read this ever. Because mm-hmm. as much as I am someone who doesn't, and we'll talk, we'll talk about this a little more in a, in a second, as much as I'm someone who's who's not that spoiler reverse and could still very much enjoy books when I'm spoiled on certain things, I feel like this is one of those exceptions. This is one where you really don't want to be spoiled. Like it's the not that the meaning of the book hinges on it, but it's very much built around you not knowing what's coming. Mm-hmm. So, well, with that said, we've given you plenty of warning. Yeah. So we'll we'll start with this comment um, from uh, from Chris, who um, wanted to know: Does anyone else prefer to go in totally cold? And I think yes. I I went into this totally cold, and I did that intentionally. And we discussed it on the last podcast how like we had both started it, and we both hadn't gotten to it being no. You had you had gotten to it being sci-fi, and I had not yet gotten to it being sci-fi. Because you remember when I was making the album art for that last episode, and you oh, were yeah, like, "That's right, that's right." Yeah, and, and I was and trying you to like, guide this you album into. Art, is a yeah. little maybe a little too close to home and i was like okay yeah. i'm gonna change it because i don't I know what that means why, but yeah 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 that's right that's right um, um and, and what yeah. chris is saying is chris tries to avoid all trailers advertisements interviews and reviews that's all intense. the time that's intense uh i don't i mm-hmm. don't always prefer to go in cold it's fun to go in cold i used that used to be the way i saw movies in the 90s i would just tag along with people who wanted to see a movie and I didn't keep up on movies. So I would sometimes not have any idea what I was going to see. And that was fun. I don't try to fetishize it though. I don't feel like, Oh, if I know anything about it now, I can't enjoy it. Uh, on the other hand, Tara Dulius, I think you should go in totally cold. Yeah. I think you should go in totally cold. Um, so I, um, yeah, for me, it doesn't normally bother me. So I'm watching Lucifer right now on Netflix Mm. And I'm loving it. And I'm like on the third season and I made the mistake of just like looking up one of the actors in, in the show and got like spoiled on future stuff that's going to happen. And that was annoying just because like, I wasn't looking to get spoiled. I just wanted like some information. Um, But normally I'll watch reviews. I'll watch trailers. I'll, you know, do all that stuff. If it says like, this is a spoilery review, I probably won't read it. Um, just because I enjoy like, you know, having some surprises, but I don't necessarily feel like being spoiled will ruin anything. And Phil in the same thread says, I may be weird, but I love spoilers. I actively search them out. I just like to know stuff and don't get any special extra joy of being surprised. For example, I enjoyed the sixth sense and the fight club first time I watched them, but I enjoyed them way more on subsequent viewings when I was looking for certain things. I think mm-hmm. we tend to fetishize surprise and feel like, well, if I'm not surprised, that's all this work had to offer me. Yeah. And, like, and I love what I Phil says, whereas like re rereading or rewatching, you've been spoiled and people often reread or rewatch things because you get something out of it. And yes, you can argue like, yeah, but that's different than being spoiled the first time through to which I would say, sure. But being surprised isn't the only value in a story. There's plenty of other value you can get out of a story. And and so while it may be annoying to get spoiled, that's not the same as being ruined. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then on the other end, 
I think Terra Nullius is one of those few exceptions where I would say, just trust me. I don't want to tell you much of anything about it. Just read it. Trust, trust me. Most of the time, that's not good enough. Most of the time, you need to know something about the story to convince you to read it. You won't usually pick up a book without knowing anything about it. You're like, well, what's it? Is it sci-fi? Well, that's a spoiler. Now you know it's sci-fi. Like you, there's there's lines, right? There's gradations, and and I think we've we've gotten to the point where we've we've turned spoilering into to this this extreme like never spoil anything. It's like, well, then you'll never recommend anything because I you know I have to tell you something about the book to get you interested. Like it's it's a space story about uh, trans aliens who pull off a heist on a space casino. And then you can decide, okay, that sounds like a cool story or like, no, that's not for me. I've spoiled it by telling you that, but I haven't told you everything about the story. And I'm, I don't think I've undermined the enjoyment of the story. By the way, God, I, I don't know cr- if that's a story or not. I just made that up. You could write that. Um, maybe it really drives me crazy when you mention like something like that or even less than that on Twitter or something like, I enjoy that this book has such and such representation and people are like, spoilers. It's like, what's the like you can't mention anything about the book like that has no impact on never mind yeah i just yeah that that kind of stuff drives me crazy and so Um, personal everybody's different and i try mm -hmm. to respect that but at the same time you can't tell people don't ever say anything about anything or we'll never share any recommendations with each other right there is a movie (laughs) it is called the it's called candy man oh no you spoiled it Uh, so anyway, yes, I, I do, I do understand that there are people like Jeff Kanata, uh, in the world and people, uh, like Chris in the world who want to know as little as possible. And that's fine. I, I'm not out to yuck your yum. Hey, I'm not out, out to like, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff's very public about that. That's why yeah. he, he's a, who I always think about. And I'm not going to try to actively undermine, uh, that I, I, I get it. Uh, but I also think sometimes you know, the, the, the spoiler police, you know, can, can be a little too harsh. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the book. Um, I am totally, uh, okay with, I, you know, I definitely won't be impacted at all by us talking about any spoilers in this book that I definitely finished. <laughs> okay. We are definitely in spoiler country, you know, who's who in the book now right yes i know that there are amphibious aliens i loved that moment (laughs) uh because i i saw it coming i'm like okay she's leaving out a lot of details because when i first started reading it i was like okay is there going to be a time jump Mm -hmm. is you know we've we've got the nuns and we've got the orphans and i'm like is there going to be a portal that takes Jackie into the future where the aliens have shown up? Like I suspected aliens and an alien yeah. invasion, but I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. And so when she reveals like, oh yeah, the, the, um, the colonists this entire time. Yeah. They're fish aliens. I was like, okay, didn't see that. Didn't see yeah. fish aliens. Like well, it was funny how they, they do like a little, a little reveal at like the end of chapter eight or maybe the end of chapter nine where they're talking to somebody and he's like referencing like the, you know, the old white colonists and also now these new gray ones. And I was like, wait, what? Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> and 
And then you, literally the next and page. And that's great because it's the grays, right? Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought it was right? like the grays right away. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's like the grays. But it's then like the like, but aliens they, from Close Encounters. Oh, my God. But they're like really referencing them like they're like human, humany human. Like they felt mm-hmm. very human. Well, she um, did an artful job. It's like mm-hmm. a writing exercise level job of just never just writing around anything that would reveal that they're not human. Yeah. And, so and I, I liked, I went back and I read passages. I'm like, oh, really? yeah, no, that could still be a fish person. Like she didn't say <laughs> anything that would be like, wait a minute, a fish person wouldn't be able to do that. Like it's, it's all just kept very distant and vague, but what's brilliant about her writing. And this is why this should win awards is that you never feel like it's missing anything when mm-hmm. you're reading it. You never feel like, hold on, she's left a big gap that I can't avoid looking at. Why does she never say this word? Why, like, she did a she did a great job of of just navigating yeah. a story that felt perfectly normal. But then when you look back later, you're like, oh yeah, she obviously didn't describe their face or my inherent you know. biases throughout the whole book were like, these are white colonists. Yeah. These are when they're talking about their homeland with like. You know, that's damp and gray and, and wet and moist. I was like, it's oh, England, they're talking about right? England. Of <laughs> they're course. They're talking about England. <laughs> like it all made sense. But, yeah. And so, and and I was thinking, oh, all the all the natives, you know, they're Aboriginal people. They're, you know, that's, I fit in all the regular, you know, biases and, and things in my brain from like history that made sense. That's exactly what she wanted to happen. They're, they're yeah, assumptions. All assumptions. Yeah. That's exactly what she wanted us to have these baked in assumptions about the kind of experience that was happening in the story. Um, no surprise there. But then as soon as they said gray, I was like, <laughs> can you imagine like a gray from close encounters wearing like a Catholic nun's habit? <laughs> that's hilarious. Of course, Wait, it's even I think more. That's a doctor who episode actually, to be honest, right? maybe not it's a gray, but like a fish person. for sure. Yeah. So, um, and then when they kind of flipped it on their head and then I, you know, when they started talking about the, the, uh, the natives and the people who are fleeing the, like the, um, the, the people who are like camping and kind of what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anyway, the, the, the people who are fleeing and they were like, yeah, and, and most of them are white and they are out in the sun all the time and they don't always get burnt because they're so tan. But like once in a while, like their mm-hmm. skin starts to blister. And I was like, yeah, this is like because like all the people of Australia all together, like all the different races are now being persecuted by this larger entity. And I have to say, it did feel a little on the nose. Like it it felt like there was part of it that felt a little bit too to like okay like i get it like you know we're like this is like shining like holding up a mirror to the face of like you know the oppression that we we confront and deal with in, in modern society um i don't know if that changes because i haven't finished the book yet i don't know what the <laughs> ending of the book is <laughs> it's I'm only pretty on far the nose. i'm not I, done i feel like it's only on the nose because there's a nose like like yeah. I, I I feel like what what she did really well is to say is is to put you in the position what however you're reading it if you're mm-hmm. if you're an uh, indigenous reader you're going to identify with Jackie uh and and if you are uh, a white reader 
you're going to identify with the settlers, like just naturally the way you're reading it. And then suddenly going, ah, but you Mm -hmm. all, everyone reading this, unless there's a fish alien reading clergy Colbert, but everyone that we know exists that's reading this is uh, a native. Everybody. But what I'm saying and, is that if you're like a decent person, <laughs> like you shouldn't be having like an aha moment from this. Like this shouldn't be like, oh, now you're having like a realization of what it that. feels like to be oppressed. Like, I don't I just, know if I agree with that because you can be decent and still be thinking, oh, that's an experience I haven't had. Right. And this is an experience that I could have had. Mm-hmm. And you could be perfectly decent and be and be reading a story about Australian colonization. You would have empathy if yep. you're a decent person, but you wouldn't assume that you would have that experience. And what she did when she revealed it was aliens is you're like, oh, the person I was empathizing with actually could be me. Mm-hmm. And that's that's different. That is okay. substantively different to me. Yeah, I guess it, it didn't make me feel that way. And I don't know why. I think maybe, I don't know why. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, I get that perspective for sure. Because I, I, I also wanna... get what you're saying, which is like, if you're a decent person, you shouldn't be like, oh, crap, I guess it's not okay to hate the natives, right? Like, I, I totally get that. Yeah, it's yeah. Not that, that should not be your revelation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Part, I guess that's part of it. Um, I want to apologize to Tassie Dave because I, I uh, accidentally um, used his turn of phrase um, when I said holding up a mirror because I had read his his passage earlier ah, okay. yeah, on this thread. Credit, credit, so I want to give credit Dave, where yeah. credit is due. Um, he was like, the flip isn't that it's just aliens. The flip is that it's us that are oppressed and peoples. It's holding a mirror to us in society to think about what our ancestors did and what we can do to help rectify the continuing problems. Um, I think one of the things that I loved about it too, is that what it says is there really isn't a difference between you other than your lived experience Mm -hmm. and your culture. You are all humans. And if you were all put in the same lived experience and culture, you would act fairly similarly and have similar reactions. And it's, I think that's a tough argument to make without straying into, oh, but you're minimizing or doing this if you're, if you're just trying to make it. But what she did is like, yeah, but if aliens came and enslaved us all, we'd all have fairly similar lived experiences and the aliens would not see us as any different. You know, I have to say there, there was one kind of moment that I had that I think will stick with me. And that's when they're talking about how the colonizers, um, the settlers rather, say that, you know, don't see humans as being, they see them as animals. You know, they see them as basically like like barely a step above livestock. Right. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, they had technology, like we had technology, we had like, you know, like buildings and tools and weapons and all this stuff. And then I was like, but man, that's exactly what happened to every native society, every place that was conquered, you know, slaves in the United States, slaves around the world. Every invaded society was minimized and, and any and made to be animals, society you know, that was, was significantly conquered was conquered because it was at a technological disadvantage, not because right. the people were in any way worse off, but they had technology. They mm-hmm. just didn't quite have got to the same technology. Uh, in fact, I, I kept thinking while I was reading this, it's like, it's, we're going to think Australia, obviously, 
we're mm-hmm. also going to think about America. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're going to think about New Zealand. We're going to think about uh, places like that. But this happened to Britain. <gasps> yeah, right. Yeah. Right? The Celts. With the Rome, yeah. The, the Celts the were driven away, not by the Romans, by not the by Anglo-Saxons. The Romans came in and and in- included Britain in the empire. Tom, you know where I learned about this, actually? Where? This fantastic book called Project Vera that I just read recently. <laughs> <laughs> Where they talk about how, like, you know, societies that are peaceful don't need to build up their technology as much because, you know, they're, I don't know. I mean, you'd probably be better at explaining it. I know that you were Societies that, that are peaceful matter. may not be driven to build up their technology because they don't mm-hmm. need to compete. Right, because they yeah. don't need to compete. Uh, but and, then and once Rome, you introduce, Rome yeah. included Britain, but the Anglo-Saxons murdered them. And drove mm-hmm. them out to where there were no Celts in England. And the Celts, in that case, held out in the mountains in Wales, north of the Wall in Scotland. Uh, but that that culture changed. That culture stopped being British, stopped mm-hmm. being Celtic, and started being English. Uh, and, the, and the English were dismissive of Celts. And Celts were lower in society. And then the Normans came in and did the same thing. And they're like, ah, Angles and Saxons. <laughs> barely animals like all right yeah, fine yeah you know we'll we'll let them work the land um and so it's i i'm not trying to equate or excuse when i say that i'm saying like this is human history and it happens frequently in many places around the world in varying levels uh and and so it's quite likely that if an alien race came in and its technology was significantly advanced that the same thing would happen again to us, to all Great. of us. Well, I, you know, I haven't finished. I is there anything more that you want to discuss about the about the ending? I I don't know what happens. <laughs> not not really, honestly. I mean, the ending is 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 kind of a, a fantastic uh, last stand kind of uh, shootout at the OK Corral kind of Ooh. kind of ending. Uh, you get a lot more about you know the the alien that that turns against his own people because Johnny star he, yeah, because he disagrees, uh, with what they're doing. And, and he was an, an oppressed class, uh, not, not an oppressed people, but an oppressed class because he was considered a criminal, uh, on his, uh, and mm-hmm. because he just wanted to be separate. I thought that was a really interesting characterization, uh, of that person. Um, and very reflective of, of, you know, c- certain historical characters here as well. Uh, but I, I just, I just really, really love this idea that, uh, we, we really, you know, we really, if we respect each other for our differences like, oh, you've had a different experience than me. Uh, and so I shouldn't assume that what I've experienced is exactly the same as you, but fundamentally we're both human, uh, that we get along a lot better than if we say, ah, you are so different from me. Therefore you are worse, better, uh, et cetera. And I feel like that's a great lesson that is not the first book to teach it, but well taught. Good. Well, I'm excited to, to wrap it up. Um, yeah, I have to say the, the transition from what the book started as to what it turned into, I, I would say, I think there's some conversation happening about whether it was jarring of a transition. I felt it was a little bit jarring, but I was also waiting for it. You know, I was expecting it to come. I was excited um, for it. I, yeah, and I was, I was excited that it. It, I had guessed close, but not exactly right. 
I tried not to guess anything. So I was like pretty unprepared. <laughs> oh, I was definitely trying to guess. I was like, okay, it's got to be aliens, but yeah. are the settlers working for the aliens? Are we going to have a time jump? Or are they like, I kept changing my guess. And when it finally came, also, I, I, I think she did a great job of describing the alien world once we get to it. And, you know, the Ooh. fact that it was entirely water mm-hmm. uh, based, not road based and, and all of that. I thought, thought that was a f- I, w- I actually want to find out more about that alien world and what happens there. Yeah, too. I want to know if the if the nun gets it in the end or not, because I hate yeah, her. She gets it in the, yeah. gets it in the end. <laughs> See, that's, <laughs> no, no, a spoiler. No, that's not a spoiler. I'm, I'm just totally happy with. I'm just saying, I hope she does. Okay. Well, I hope she does. I hope she does. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our episode. Um, Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Our show is currently entirely funded by you, our patrons. Um, Thank you so much if you help back our show. If you want to learn more, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites, including links to bookshop.org now at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. You can also send us a message on Instagram or Twitter at swordandlaser. And all of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Time for spoopy October. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!